Support for this podcast comes from Carafi. If you're an in-house talent acquisition professional hoping to step into a more senior role, the Talent Ed Growth Program by Carafi will accelerate that process. You'll learn how to scientifically measure the performance of your TA function and walk away with knowledge, confidence and templates to transform the way your business and line management view you. You'll have a more strategic view of TA, increasing your value and ensuring you're first in line for a promotion. And if you're already a senior in-house TA leader, Talent Ed is a fantastic way to upskill your TA team to become more strategic and proactive. They'll be able to pick up more of what you do, so you'll have more time to focus on the parts of your role that you really enjoy. And it's a fantastic way to show your commitment to their learning and development, equipping them for promotions into more senior roles. Book your free 20-minute taster session and find out if Talent Ed is right for you and or your team at get-talented.com. That's get-talented.com. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 497 of the Recruiting Future podcast. The current evolution of talent acquisition is not just an outward-facing exercise. New thinking around internal mobility, skills, culture and experience means the lines between talent acquisition, talent management and learning and development are starting to blur. So what can we learn from the employers proactively working to break down these silos? My guest this week is Debbie Clement, VP of Talent at PAX8. PAX8 have a massive focus on a quality experience for both candidates and employees and has reinvented its TA strategy to reflect this. Debbie has a lot of insight to share on the importance of removing internal silos and having an holistic approach to talent. Hi Debbie and welcome to the podcast. Hello Matt, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for the invite. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. So, hello, everyone. My name is Debbie Clement. I'm VP of Talent for Pax8 in Europe. Pax8 is cloud marketplace platform, B2B to B, a bit like the Amazon for cloud software um, products and services. So, um, what am I, 20 years now in talent? Gosh, where's that time gone? Um, <clears throat> yeah, agency, um, mid-market, global executive search franchise background, um, some time with a master franchise, um, some um, agency, my own agency and a consultancy, and then a, a nice little sabbatical in the USA working with a whale conservation charity as well. Oh, very cool. After I kind of suffered some... Where is the industry going? What are we all doing? Why are we doing this? So um, that was nice. But then you still came back after after that. Did I did? And um, about a year ago, um, I joined Pax Eight as a full time employee, having worked as a retained consultant for five years with their um, first acquisition outside of the USA, um, tiny company there. 
And uh, we were 30 in the UK when we were acquired. And we're now 258, 260, changes every day (laughs) in um, Europe. And we made uh, a third European acquisition last week. So that's adding another 140 or so people as well. So we went from hiring 12 people a year to 20 hires in a month at one point. And um, we're now 1,300 employees globally. Yeah, it's been quite a ride. Never thought I would be in a large corporation, but um, here we are. Sounds like it's been a very interesting time. Tell us a little bit more about the talent challenges that you have as a growing organization. It is quite amazing. Our founder, John Street, says um, we're uh, with the size that we are today, um, in spite of ourselves, um, I think we hit a billion dollars in annual recurring revenue uh, just before Christmas. And um, the pace, everybody talks about the pace in technology companies, don't they? But until you're actually in it and feeling it, you don't realize that literally you're outgrowing your tools on a daily basis. Um, and you're building the job descriptions literally as you're, as you're going to market. All of those things are just... Um, I, I just never appreciated just the pace um, and the there's the, the so many interconnects that you have to get your arms around when you're moving at speed like this. Um, and, but that's that's what makes it amazing. And I think I think the thing about Pax Eight is people people just do they just get on and do. Um, and there's not too many things in the way. Although that's that's becoming increasingly as systems grow and structures grow you have to be more organized whereas I think before we were we were like this amorphous growing amoeba gosh that's a big mouthful isn't it but yeah that's what it feels like sometimes and now we have to be more disciplined more organized and um and be a bit more grown up about it (laughs) let's put this just in context of the the market in 2023 because obviously all the headlines are about you know layoffs in tech and lots of disruption in the talent market what do you see happening and what do you think the implications are i may have somewhat of a controversial view there because i do look at the scaling up that's happened and i do question the growth playbooks that get implemented by the investment community that drives us to these kind of behaviours. And I do wonder whether they're fit for purpose um, for the future. I think as I look at the future and how we we want to gear up, we want to gear up to be um, as flat and as agile as we possibly can in terms of layers and structures. And yet the growth models that most people go to market with or get funded for um, seem to be completely the opposite. So there's this real interesting dynamic that companies and the way that they were built in the past, is that the model for the future in terms of the way that our companies should operate and and run and be grown even? Um, So that's, that's that's where my thinking has gone of late. I don't know whether other people would, would agree with me, but I, I do see the layoffs as being driven maybe by the investment community rather than um, following through on where they put their money. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's somewhat controversial in what I'm saying there. I don't think that's controversial at all. I mean, I think it's a it's a very strange time in terms of what's happening. Is it still hard to recruit the right people? It's always hard to recruit the, the right people. Um, when I read 
when I rebuilt the model, I built the model that we have in Europe. Um, I'd spent a year, as I mentioned, working in the whale conservation charity. And one of the things that I learned there was um, we did amazing things with people that got paid nothing at all, that were volunteers. And um, it really got me questioning the recruitment model and how it operates and um, how we do it. And I literally spent a whole year exploding every part of the recruitment process and looking at it from many different angles. And I stopped counting at 160 different failure points that I found in that. And then when I came back to the UK and and, uh, launched my own consultancy at the time, I built a a different model for recruitment um, that worked for the SME inside uh, that was around fixing as many of those failure points as we possibly could. Um, We broke it down into five key areas, profile, process, control, brand and land. Um, And we built the processes around um, the outside in. So we built it from the candidate experience into the organization. And we also, interestingly, we do things like we, all of our TAs use the same interviewing framework, which is built firstly and foremostly around hiring the whole human and hiring to values. Um, and that's, I think that's, that's, that's really helped us um, because in post-pandemic world, people really want a sense of community. They want to join a company with heart and values. Now it's really stood us in good stead. Um, I was in the office a couple of weeks ago. We had some vendors and suppliers come in and each of them um, commented on how have you done this? Uh, how have you got to this kind of culture? It's palpable. They feel it when they walk in on the floor. And that's what I'm particularly proud of. Um, and the team have delivered. And does that also reflect in things like the employee experience and also in terms of retaining great people? Yes, it does. I look at TA, the start of TA as being the umbilical cord that goes right the way through the organization. It unquestionably starts with us. Um, The values that you get on the inside follow right the way through people operations. We call it people operations, not HR, um, to talent enablement. We call that TED, uh, talent enablement and development. Um, I think that's that's the anchor for the whole business is the whole person values that you that you rest your business on um, and that's the thing that sees you through the ups and the downs the and it helps you retain people um, but it is hard work get get over a hundred people and it becomes harder and harder I think this is what everyone says it gets harder to, to maintain culture as you get over 150 people certainly but so far so good we have to work hard to keep it but it does start with the TA team um, and the cord runs right the way through POPs and talent enablement and development. I think a lot of people out there don't knit those three pieces together, which goes on to my three-legged stool analogy, doesn't it? I think in a lot of organisations, uh, TA, POPs and TED are three separate silos, um, and no one knits the processes together behind the scenes uh, so often you see cut and paste initiatives from HR being populated around the business. Um, but very rarely do you see things really joined up, really slick. Um, and some of those divisions don't even meet together weekly. So how can you expect everything to follow through when 
you've got this discombobulated machine. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi everyone, I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. It's a really interesting area because more and more companies that I that I speak to, you have talent acquisition looking. You're looking to play more of a part in talent mobility. You have organisations struggling to make sure they have the right skills in their business. Kind of really sort of dovetailing into, um, you know, how they upskill the people that they've that they've got and how they look to talent acquisition to fill the gaps. And I think that we're definitely starting to see kind of a blending of all of those areas. But as you rightly say, in many organizations, they're still, they're still entirely separate. Yeah, they really are. They really are. I, I think one of the things that I have been doing, um, I found a really interesting thing um, in the last month that I've been looking into, and it's called the, uh, the Wardley Mapping Concept. Uh, which is there's a really interesting mapping process for looking at your culture and um, analyzing the relationship between all the different elements of your culture. It's so often, and certainly in pops, I think they're very much about let's let's find the process for this, let's do the process for this. Process is incredibly important to pops. But not very often do we examine the the relationships behind those processes and how they're built. And if you take, for example, if you switch out a, a, a piece of tooling, for example, lots of people have got the um, the um, employer surveying tooling. Uh, in our business, we uh, we use uh, Lattice, for example, uh, for for props, which is the weekly recognition that people put in for everybody around the organisation hugely valuable as a mechanism around the organization for recognizing people, valuing people. Um, And the impact of maybe switching one of those tools out and removing that recognition piece, which is part of that community, that sense of belonging, ripping out those kind of things. Sometimes people don't think about the relationships behind that tooling. They just think about the processes. Um, and that's it's a really interesting dynamic to have a look at. There'll be lots of people listening who who kind of really aspire to this way of working for their for their organisation. But that, but as you say, it, it's complicated and it and it takes a takes a lot of work. What would your advice be to people who are kind of getting started on this journey in terms of you know what they should be doing and how they should be thinking? 
relationships. I think one of the things that I've learned in the last six months is you cannot resolve your differences without first having relationships. Um, we are really lucky in our organization. We have some great people. We've got our global chief people officer was our form, one of our former CEOs from um, one of our acquired companies. Our chief people officer is, is a former marketing director. Um, and uh, they are all about the people but they are people who bring divisions together. I mean, in our organization, for example, we have a weekly um, weekly people org meeting. So someone from TED's in there, our senior POPs um, manager is in there um, from both both sides of, of, of Europe. I'm in there from Talon and Chloe, our chief people officer, she's in there as well. So we have a meeting each week. We look at our metrics. We analyze the relationships between the metrics as well. So we can analyze that, you know, attrition in one area means we need to lean on TED um, in, in one area. And then we need to tighten up on the interviewing skills in another area. So there's this constant pushing and pulling and um, recalibrating around the, th- the three-legged stool between all of us. How important is the role of technology, the HR recruiting technology and all of this? It is well, we can't do without it today, can we? I think where a lot of companies fall off the wagon, so to speak, is in the implementation. Um, I know we we maybe in such a rush sometimes that we implement it, but we don't think about user experience enough. And that's user experience on three sides of the coin. So, for example, in our ATS, um, we think about the hiring manager experience, we think about the candidate experience, and we also think about the TA experience. In so many organizations, it's just built for the TA needs. Um, And an add-on might be the candidate experience, but it's built for process and efficiency internally from the inside out rather than from the outside in, in terms of, okay, what does a good experience look like? Um, so yeah, hugely important technology, but I don't think many technologies think enough, uh, about the, about the user experience. And also, and, you know, and, and also I guess that, that a lot of them are being designed in those same silos, um, you know, in, in terms of not necessarily, uh, you know, working across the organization in the way that perhaps they could. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any perfect tooling out there. Um, I think, and then it's, yeah, the evolution. And if you think about it, if a piece of tooling is built in one leg of the stool, your your ability to change that as you grow and as it becomes more sticky across the organization, it gets harder and harder. So you end up building processes on top of not great processes um but yeah whoever rips those out and starts i mean some of these tools cost millions don't they um and and i think the other challenge we've got again goes back to this command and control structure uh as opposed to i know we need command and control in in some areas but it does hinder us which is why i've gone back to the Wardley mapping tool, if you look at the evolution of cloud and how that evolves, one minute you're in design phase and the next minute it's a commodity. Um, but how do you iterate from, from that? How do you bring new ideas in on a, on a canvas that's so heavily built? 
you can't adapt it. And then suddenly you find, gosh, you're a walking dinosaur effectively and it's it's killing you because it's it's slow and it's cumbersome, but you've invested so much money that you can't throw it out. Taking this to, uh, I suppose, its logical conclusion, what do you think the the, the talent team or the, the talent acquisition team of the future is gonna is going to look like in terms of you know in terms of skills and in terms of what it does? <laughs> I did some navel gazing into the uh, Chat GPT three automation and AI um, world uh, that I've been diving into. Um, I came up with this analogy of think about a, a middle aged uh, uh, mid, middle ages farmer standing in the middle of a wheat field with a scythe and a sickle uh, cutting wheat and imagine explaining to him that one day in the future you'll be driving this monster machine that will be directed by something near the moon floating around the moon and (laughs) and I was trying to think what would happen to talent as a result I don't think we can possibly even imagine at this point. I mean, we're, we're already experimenting with this in, in the business. Um, and, you know, the code code that's able to be written. Uh, but at the end of the day, how is a human being going to know that they've found their tribe in an organization? Is that really going to be done by email? Is it's Surely it's going to go back into the human qualities that they need to see um, on their webs, on our websites, on in our job adverts. Gosh, if anything, if I could ride a crusade out there at all, it would be job descriptions, tell, and job adverts sell. They're two completely different documents. Um, that um, yeah, I, who knows? I I can't predict it. I'm sure there's better people out there that can predict it <laughs> than me, but. No. I'm looking forward to it, though. <laughs> I don't think anyone can predict it, and I think you brought, up some, you brought up some fantastic points there. Debbie, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. Great, great to be here. Thanks, Matt. My thanks to Debbie. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.